0: Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Pucks podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, June 3rd, and today, Tara Palmieri is here to tell us about the most powerful Republican in the country. It's not Donald Trump, it's Mitch McConnell. Will Mitch retire when his term is up in a couple of years? And will the Republican caucus become a MAGA zoo that even the legendary leader can't control? And later on in the show, John Kelly tags in for this week's edition of Feedback Friday with Alex Bigler. They'll talk about what you're saying about this week's stories and learn some fun facts about John himself. We'll learn what he likes to do on the weekends other than read the collected works of Gay Talese over a martini. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. So trust me on this one, visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. Happy Friday, everyone. I'm joined today by Puck's senior political correspondent, Tara Palmieri. And what better way to coast into the weekend than talking about the king of fun himself, Mitch McConnell. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Tara, you wrote a piece uh, a few days ago about Mitch, which actually gets us something really interesting, which is, what does he do next? Because he's 80 years old. He's obviously functionally the most powerful Republican in the country. But There's some interesting dynamics coming up with him that could change whether he wants to keep doing this job because he's always been able to keep the soldiers in line in the Senate Mm. and he's been very deliberate, always played the long game. But the next few years could be pretty volatile for the Republican Senate caucus.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for legacy purposes, I think he would like to be the longest serving Senate leader ever which would, I think Mike Mansfield beat him by a few years. So he's got a, he's basically at 82, he would break the records and who doesn't want to break legacy records, right? But he's got a ton of candidates, a lot of them backed by Trump or trying to get Trump's endorsement who are running campaigns They're basically running campaigns against Mitch McConnell and vowing to vote for a new leader. And, you know, part of it is kissing up to Trump because Trump is still furious with him over January 6th and how McConnell blamed him for that.
2: There's no question, none, that President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. No question about it.
1: It's kind of like the tale as old as time. A lot of these in the primaries, like you have to attack the establishment, DC. Who is the establishment DC? Mitch McConnell. He kind of has always been the boogeyman, but like very rarely do those candidates like ever really win. You know, it's like the kooks come and like the thing is the kooks might win this time with the help of Trump. And one of them is Eric Greitens, who is the leading Senate candidate right now in Missouri. And the story with him is that his wife and son have accused him of domestic abuse. He denies that.
0: He was the governor and he had to resign, right?
1: Yeah, for taping up his mistress with a duct tape in the basement and photographing it as blackmail.
2: The governor and his wife, Mizzou professor Sheena Greitens, released a joint statement confirming the affair happened. Some media outlets have reported that Greitens blackmailed the woman he had the affair with, trying to keep her quiet.
1: So, yeah, that's a colorful, checkered past that could be used against you in a general. And it would be pretty freaking crazy if Republicans lost Missouri. But right now, he's polling really well. He's polling ahead of the other two considered more viable candidates. Trump hasn't weighed in yet in the race. But there's a fear that if Mitch McConnell or anyone perceived to be connected to him starts to go after Greitens because he is a problematic candidate that Trump will jump in and endorse Greitens but I've heard that he's been having a little bit of flirtation with Gritens, but he's still a little scarred from the Sean Parnell thing in Pennsylvania when he had to drop out of the race due to domestic abuse allegations. A
2: judge determined Parnell committed some abusive acts towards his wife in the past. Sean Parnell released in a statement today, quote, there is nothing more important to me than my children. And while I plan to ask the court to reconsider, I can't continue with the Senate campaign. Connell's
1: playing... Trying to thread the needle. He doesn't want to just be a no because Trump has endorsed someone who's like whatever, Uber, MAGA, ultra maga, whatever they're calling them now. (laughs) It's gonna be tough. When you're recruiting candidates, you don't want candidates that have serious allegations against them. And yet a lot of these candidates have it. And even the ones that don't are still running campaigns against Mitch McConnell, like J.D. Vance said he wanted a change in leadership. And but if you get the Trump endorsement, you're probably gonna win the primary. And if you're in a red enough state, you probably just win. And then you're Mitch McConnell's problem anyway.
0: Now you've got these guys like you write about in your article, like Eric Greitens, Blake Masters in Arizona, people like J.D. Vance, who like went to Yale Law School, but is making his whole brand being ultra MAGA, as you said. Like (laughs) the way that John Boehner and Paul Ryan and Kevin McCarthy had to deal with the Lauren Boberts of the world <laughs> and Madison Cawthorns of the world in the House for a long time, McConnell could be dealing with an unruly caucus in a way that he hasn't in his whole career. And it's going to be really hard for him to defeat these Republicans in these primaries because the minute you go in with your leadership fund or outside group, they just turn around and say, See, the establishment wants to beat me. And that, in the Trump MAGA era, is more powerful than ever.
1: That is exactly what Grytons did. Like, he, in fact, blamed Karl Rove, who, you know, was affiliated with McConnell's leadership pack, for leaking that his wife and son accused him of domestic abuse.
0: And the folks we know, Mike, to get to your question directly, who we know were involved, absolutely, we know that Karl Rove was involved. Do you have anything to do to orchestrate the Sheena Grytons affidavit? No, none at all. I found out about it after it was filed when the court became public.
1: It's all kind of cuckoo crackers. Even if it's like not related to, you know, Mitch McConnell, they'll still blame him.
0: Something that came to mind when I was reading your piece is like you write about the Senate Leadership Fund, which that's basically the McConnell-blessed outside group that protects establishment Republican Senate candidates, right, and senators?
1: Yeah, and gets rid of problematic ones like they tried to take out Mo Brooks recently in Alabama.
0: And so I was thinking about Madison Cawthorn's defeat in the House in North Carolina. And like Tom Tillis, the Republican senator from North Carolina who hated Cawthorne and thought he was an embarrassment to North Carolina and the Republican Party, it seems like he clearly either took the lead or was deputized in running all of the oppo research and negative ads against Cawthorn in his primary and propping up his opponent who eventually won because they wanted to right. get rid of Cawthorn. Maybe this is free advice for Karl Rove and Stephen Law and Josh Holmes. Instead of the Senate Leadership Fund, which is McConnell's thing, deputize like John Danforth in Missouri or some like Brahmin in the Republican Party to run the super PAC. So it's not like directly coming from Mitch McConnell if you want to like take some of these guys out.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what they did in Alabama with uh, Senator Shelby. They used his PAC to go after Mo Brooks. They gave $2 million to his PAC to go after Mo Brooks and to prop up Katie Britt, who was his former staffer. But the thing is, like, eventually it was revealed that the $2 million came from Mitch McConnell. So it's like the fingerprints were there. You know what I mean? And I mean, I'm sure if they do something in Missouri, it'll. I have heard that they're working on something right now and for the next few weeks, it'll come out. But like, if they do, it'll be through something like Save Missouri or Save Missouri Values. Or I don't understand why they're not just giving to the packs of like Eric Schmidt or Vicky Hartzler. But I don't think they want to choose a candidate at this point. I don't know.
0: Before I let you go, Tara, I want to ask you about McConnell again. So like, if he he's up in two years, he'll be 82- if he decides not to run again and he, you know, he might, I mean, he seems pretty
1: savvy spry. and healthy and spry. <laughs> spry is
0: the word, spry. That's what you say for, about old guys. He's spry. I just
1: like to use the word spry. It just feels <laughs> yeah. to spry DC, you know, it's like. you know. Maybe
0: he wants to go back and hang out with Elaine Chao in Kentucky for the, the next six years, but maybe he doesn't run again. Who in the Republican caucus, it's clear no one wants to challenge him for that role. Is it John Thune who wants to be majority leader? Is yeah.
1: it, is it yeah. Rick Scott? Like,
0: who's the next Republican leader after McConnell?
1: It's definitely not anyone who wants to be president. And I think Rick Scott still harbors some presidential ambitions, just because, like, part of the job is getting, like, getting members to take votes that are going might be unpopular in a general election, and you have to take them too. And it's just, like, kind of a thankless job. I mean, you have so much power. Yeah. You can only, like and you can use it to secure yourself if you're like a true creature of the senate but a Josh Hawley, a Ted Cruz, a Rick Scott, once you're a senator, you have a chance of running for president, so why would you
0: why would you do that? And those guys are clearly showboats. Like they're not they they don't want to be behind the scenes guys like doing whip counts and like committee assignments, yeah.
1: No, definitely not. And it's like you just don't want that. And it's like I think NRSC is a better space for someone like mm. that that wants to run for president like where Rick Scott is because he gets to meet with fundraisers and donors and just kind of like build his name ID through that position, but without having to actually make people do things that are unpleasant. Mm -hmm. So no, there's not a lot of people. So there's the three Johns that are behind McConnell in the rankings, John Cornyn, John Thune, and John Barrasso Mm. of Wyoming. And they're a lot older gentlemen, you know, of, you know, the (laughs) sixties.
0: Not yet spry, but just old avuncular. (laughs)
1: Her, <laughs> I'm going to use that this week. Thank you. Um, yeah. You know, they're definitely waiting in the wings. Who knows? Maybe there'll be an emerging lady senator. I don't know. I mean, Joni Ernst is talked about as someone mm. who might end up in leadership. But like, it's just so civilized in the Senate for now. Mm. Also, you have a six-year term. It's kind of like the peerage, I would say, in a way. The Democrats make it seem a little bit more rough and tumble lately, but McConnell has such a, stronger grip on the party than Schumer does.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, by the way, I'm not your assignment editor or your boss, but, like, I really want you to write a piece about Schumer (laughs) and, like, his impotence as, like, party leader in terms of, like, helping Biden get this agenda through. Obviously, Buck stops with Biden whatever he's the president, but, like, the way he handled the mansion letter... He just seems completely out of touch with how media works and the realities of how politics works these days. I don't know. He feels like he's dining out on like winning the Senate in 2006. And I would love to read your reporting on that from inside the Democratic caucus.
1: You are the second person this week that said to me, you should write about how much Schumer sucks. And they say when three people ask for it, you must give it.
0: That's right. (laughs) That's right. All right, Tara, thank you so much. I'll be waiting for that piece.
1: Thank you. Okay. Bye.
0: <laughs> Bye. Quick math By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com powers that be, netsuite.com powers that be. That's netsuite.com powers that be. Hey, powers that be listeners. I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy.
3: Welcome back. Yeah, that's right. It's not Peter Hamby. It's John Kelly here for a special hijacking of Feedback Friday's, my favorite segment on the Powers That Be daily, with my favorite vice president of marketing, Alex Bigler. Alex, welcome back to the program.
2: I already am so nervous for our poor producer, Adam, about all of the laughing he's going to have to edit out of this tape.
3: It's true. One of my um, favorite things about working at Puck is Spending days in the office with Alex and we just laugh at the stupidest stuff all day long. She's a a fantastic executive, an incredible office gossip buddy, and an inveterate fan of the, the St. Louis Cardinals. In fact, so much so that I find myself on random nights going to like my MLB League Pass just to see who the Cardinals are playing and what's going on and texting her. And she responds immediately, pointing out that like Yadi Molina just hit a home run. Like she, she really does watch all 162 games. Anyway, Alex, no one else cares about that besides me. Tell us, what are the great subscribers of Puck sending you and sending Fritz this week in Feedback Friday?
2: I think the theme of this week is that it um, doesn't matter if it's a holiday weekend or not. Puck does not take holidays and neither do our subscribers. We did not miss a day of reporting and I think our subscribers really, really appreciated that. We got a lot of feedback both on social and writing in just saying that that the work this week was, was really amazing. I have two things that I really wanted to talk with you about. One was we got a lot of readers reaching out about Baratunde's piece that went out on Sunday. No one writes like he writes. I mean, he is just such a singular, incredible, not only talent, but also person. And correct me if I'm wrong, he's going to start, his newsletter is going to start coming out on a more regular basis. Is that right?
3: Yeah, we're going to start sending out Bertrand Day's private email. I, I think uh, it'll be bi weekly at first on Sunday mornings, both in the East Coast and the West Coast around 10 a.m. and 7 Pacific. And, you know, with a mind towards it, it being more frequent. You're right, Bertrand Day is a. Totally and utterly unique talent, and he's also a little bit different than uh, some of the other uh, talents at, at Puck. He's not a traditionally trained journalist. He, he you know, his uh, he's written columns at Fast Company in the past, and he worked at The Onion, but he's also somebody who is, you know, largely influential o- across uh, newer emerging platforms and has such a singular view of the world. I mean, I think I was personally overwhelmed by the feedback that we received after this initial send of uh, his private email because people do want to know what he's consuming. I, I think they, they want to know how he forms his worldviews, what-, what media uh, is part of his diet, and they want to get closer to him. I think as, as someone who is-, is so dominant across, you know, Instagram, and LinkedIn and, and other platforms, uh, you know, we believe that Puck provides a chance for his, you know, biggest fans to get even closer to him than ever before, and for people who aren't familiar with his work to have a chance to, uh, you know, to experience it for the first time. So thanks for sharing that, Alex. What else is going on?
2: I'm happy you're here because I received an email this week that I was really excited to read uh, out loud, and and I want you to hear it because I think it's it's so great. As you know, we have gift subscriptions to Puck. I personally have activated over 100 subscriptions to Puck, which is just an incredible testament to, to the work that we're doing. And I received an email today from um, a professor of political science who had reached out, wanted to purchase a gift subscription for a friend's birthday. She had actually previously purchased one for her niece. When we asked her about it, when we said, you know, so kind of you to always think of us for your gifts like why do you do this she wrote in and said puck has captured that feeling i have when i interview experts for my research i feel wise informed and privileged for knowing the inside skinny it's the best feeling in the world and thus puck makes the best gift for my favorite people thank you for all that you do and I really just wanted to see like your facial reaction when I read that out loud, and I think I got what I was looking for.
3: Oh well, the, it, it's uh, that's validating. You know, I think on on some level, for me at least, one of the the primal instincts that I had that we all came to this you know company through, through our own different and, and unique journeys. But when I was uh, a, a younger person working at the New York Times, I used to just sometimes circulate the, on the second and third floor newsroom. And there were a couple of reporters in particular who, if you circulated enough, you would just hear them having these like absolutely stupendously upscale gossipy conversations with completely elite hegemonic people on the other end. And at least from what I could ascertain by what was, you know, producing this person's work, it just never made it there. That there was this inside conversation they were privy to and it stayed silent and uncovered. And what we wanted to do on, on, you know, some real level was bring together a, a group of elite, extraordinary journalists who penetrated that conversation and were brave enough to, to have it in, in full view, but also felt that it was required. And, and it's really sort of the last mile of, of news, you know, you get to any point in life, you realize that there is something more that you aren't learning through traditional organizations. And that's why we set forth to create this company, at least editorially. And it's really wonderful and, and validating, like I said, to, to know that we're connecting with the readers. That's what they want to. Because that's, the, that's exactly the experience we want to provide for them.
2: Well, before I got on, you asked me um, what fun fact I was bringing to this Friday conversation. Because as you know… Oh,
3: good. I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to do that. Yes. Because I told fact. you
2: I didn't have a fun fact about any okay. of our journalists. And that's true. I did not have a fun fact about our journalists, but I do have a fun fact about our editor-in-chief, John Kelly, which I was hoping he would talk to us about today. (laughs) I would love if you told our listeners about your semi-professional softball league that you are involved in.
3: Oh, this is going to be hugely career destructive, but but okay, sure. Um, You pulled my arm. I joined at the behest of a a friend, a... (laughs) Men's Semi-Competitive Softball League. And I have had the time of my life every Sunday playing with these guys. Uh, I think you, you've seen me come into the office on Monday mornings with, with, with scratches on my arms. Um,
2: Just torn knees the whole nine <laughs> yards.
3: Yeah, it, it, it's it been no joke. I hope this is humanizing on some level. But I have to tell you, I didn't play competitive sports for a, a very long time. And getting back into it has been incredible. This is so much more fun than running or playing tennis really i i have to tell you that there's a lot of fun anxiety and uh focus that goes into to building a startup as everyone who who is part of the puck journey knows and one of the healthiest ways to get that out in a constructive way is to hang out with a bunch of middle-aged men and play softball on sunday morning so i think there are there, there are certainly other options available to me but um i'm happy i found this one
2: well, it's great. You bring the same intensity to the baseball field that you bring to Puck every day. And I, you know, it's so great working with you. I think we work really well together at Puck all together to to build this business. Um, and I think that's what makes it so special. So thank you.
3: Well, back at you, homie. Um, you're the best. And uh, I hope that Peter is traveling or something next week or the week thereafter so we can do this again. But in the meantime, thanks to our listeners for humoring us. I'll see you
0: all on a Media Monday. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. You can visit us at puck.news and on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you next week.